It's time once again for the Go-Giver Podcast, where we explore five timeless principles that will increase the profitability of your business and the joy in your life. Now, here's your host, the co-author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg. Hello again, I'm Bob Berg, and we have what I hope you'll find to be an interesting and value-packed show today. Always be wary of accepting a frame that someone else has set for you. We'll look at that in our thought of the day. And in our interview segment, former FBI lead international kidnapping negotiator Chris Voss with immense wisdom on the topic of negotiating from his fantastic book. That and more on today's show. I thank you for joining us. In past episodes, you've heard me talk about frames, which I define as the foundation from which everything else evolves. When you've set the proper frame, or reset someone else's negative frame, you create the context for a truly win-win outcome in which everyone involved benefits greatly. John David Mann and I discussed the power of framing in our newest book, The Go-Giver Influencer. But as important as it is for us to set positive frames, we need to be aware that Others might not be setting a positive frame for us. Hey, life is life and people are people, and not everyone operates the way we'd like them to. So what I want to suggest, if I may, is to be alert that you don't unconsciously or unthinkingly allow yourself to fall victim to a false frame that someone else has set for you that might result in a win for them and a loss for you. If someone offers you a choice of either or something, that's a frame, and neither of the either's might be a decision that's in your best interest. How do you avoid this trap? Well, whenever you're given a choice between only two things, one or the other, simply slow down and allow yourself to think things through before answering and deciding. Ask yourself if those are really the only two logical choices or if there's a third one that they haven't offered or that you simply haven't considered. And even if there isn't a third choice, you might simply prefer neither one. One important question to ask yourself might be, is there a reason this person would want me to think there are only those two choices? Just remember that when offered an either-or choice, That's nothing more than a frame, and you don't want somebody else setting your frame. Of course, it also might be perfectly legitimate and totally advantageous for you to go with one of those choices. Absolutely. Just make sure it's the result of your thinking it through and coming to a correct conclusion, not the result of another person making that decision for you through that frame. Life is a series of choices. Just be sure you're not framed into making a choice that doesn't serve you. Frames themselves are a big part of any negotiation. And in our upcoming interview, a discussion with one of the top negotiators in the world, his book was amazing and the wisdom he shares with us, the same. Former FBI lead kidnapping hostage negotiator, Chris Voss coming up right after this. Pick up John David Manns and my newest book, The Go-Giver Influencer. Set in the same fictional city as the first two Go-Giver books, it features two young, ambitious business people, Jillian Waters, chief buyer for a national chain of pet accessory stores, and Jackson Hill, founder of a small but growing manufacturer of all-natural pet foods. Each has something the other wants, 
To Jackson, it's the possibility of reaching more animals if he can negotiate terms that will protect his company's integrity. To Jillian, it's about giving her company a distinct competitive advantage in the marketplace if she can persuade Jackson to give them an exclusive. Of course, there's a surprise ending. Marshall Goldsmith says this may be the most important go-giver book yet and adds that in today's polarized world, it could not be more timely. Read the first two chapters of The Go-Giver Influencer by visiting thegogiver.com or just click the link in the show notes. Former FBI lead international kidnapping negotiator Chris Voss is CEO of the Black Swan Group and author of the national bestseller, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It, named one of the seven best books ever written on negotiation. A 24-year veteran of the FBI and drawing on his experience in high-stakes negotiations, his company specializes in solving business communication problems using hostage negotiation solutions. Their negotiation methodology focuses on discovering the black swans, small pieces of information that have a huge effect on an outcome. That was a fascinating section of the book, and we'll explore that a bit deeper during our discussion. Chris and his team have helped companies secure and close better deals, save money, and solve internal communication problems. He's been featured on and in major media, including Time, Business Insider, Entrepreneur, Inc., Fast Company, Fortune, The Washington Post, Success Magazine, Squawk Box, CNN, ABC News, and more. Visit Chris's company website at blackswanltd.com, where there's more information on his book, Never Split the Difference, or go right to amazon.com. Both links will be in the show notes. Hi, Chris. Loved your book. Thanks, Bob. A pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Hey, let's begin with the obvious question, especially for the majority who never really studied negotiation to any real degree. Your title, Never Split the Difference. Explain first, if you will, how a skilled win-lose negotiator might try and compel an inexperienced negotiator to accept a, a less than advantageous result through the actual quote you titled your book against and why you went the other way. Yeah, well, you know, those skilled win-lose negotiators, there's an old saying, be wary the person that offers to meet you in the middle, they're often a poor judge of distance. Ah. <laughs> so that. the win-lose negotiator knows he's going to sucker you in these ideas of fairness and, you know, let's split the difference, let's make it win-win. And then he's just going to change change the parameters, change the goalposts. Let's say this person always wanted to pay $100 you know, he's going to say, ah, you know, the best thing, you want 150, I want to give you 50, let's, you know, let's split the difference, I'll give you 100, we both win. I mean, they're going to, they're the high anchor, extreme anchor person, they know that uh, anchors distort reality, yeah. and they're just going to, they're just going to change, change the rules on you so that uh, they, you think that you're winning. Right, okay, that, that makes sense. So, uh, what would you say... <clears throat> is the very essence of negotiation itself. Well, you know, um, there's kind of two issues. What's the essence essence of it, and when are you in a negotiation? <laughs> you know, and we, uh, I've always believed that the most dangerous negotiation is the one you don't know you're in. Uh, and so you're in a negotiation if the words I want are on anybody's mind. Um, if they're, if they're trying to get somebody to say yes, but principally you try to get somebody to say yes to something after you or somebody else thinks, I want, I want this, I want that, 
I, you know, I, I want a trip to Europe, you know, whatever it is. If the words I want are in anybody's brain, then people are in a negotiation. Okay. That makes sense. That makes and, sense. And, and then, you know, how do you master it? I mean, you master it by looking at it as a collaboration, um, which is different from a cooperation. Uh, collaboration is, you know, we're both kind of in this. Um, neither one of us are really subservient to the other. I'm, I'm, I'm not ceding my ability to get what I want. Cooperation is I'll go along with what you want. I'll be cooperative. But a collaboration is I'm going to play a role in this. I'm going to be involved or it's not going to happen. So you really need to understand the difference between collaboration and cooperation. And you need to be collaborative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the biggest hindrance to anyone in the negotiating process? In other words, what are we as human beings? What do we do wrong naturally in a negotiation? Uh, we work so hard to get our point across. <laughs> Okay. We're eye focused. Yeah, we're eye focused and then and then also everybody knows the Stephen Covey advice from way back when seek first to understand, then be understood. Mm -hmm. But everybody wants to be understood before they understand. Ah, right. It's natural. Sure. Human nature. Yeah, and that's what and that's what gets in the way because then you get two people talking at each other instead of with each other. Yep. Okay. Um Chris, as a hostage negotiator, and the stories in your book, absolutely, they were riveting. And I, again, I just love this book. This was just a, it, it was an all-timer for me. And I nice. just hope everyone, everyone gets this. As a hostage negotiator, obviously, there was nothing academic about your situations. And I mean that literally, because not only were these real life, potentially life and death situations, but you had the opportunity to actually compare your methods to those in the academic negotiation classrooms at Harvard University. What was your first major takeaway in terms of the difference between academic or university taught negotiation and real world uh, FBI hostage negotiations? Well, from hostage negotiation, we always we always just presumed that this was going to be an emotionally driven situation. And, you know, that was our, our starting point, square one. And so then what are the hostage negotiation skills? They're the best emotional intelligence skills on the planet, bar none. And by the way, every hostage negotiation team in the world uses the same skills to give you an idea of the universal nature of this approach. Mm -hmm. So you get into the academic guys and, you know, they want to be reasonable. They want to be rational. They, they want to do stuff like, well, let's first discuss the process and we'll agree on the process and then we'll get into the negotiation. I mean, so it's it's trying to be reasonable from square one as opposed to recognizing the reality that people are emotional from square one. So it's sort of where do you start from? Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, you mentioned quite a bit Amos Tversky and da uh, Daniel Kahneman's work, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, Kahneman's book to me was absolutely uh, uh, another gem, which I suggest everyone read. And, um, you know, it, here's what was interesting to me, Chris. The academics focused on logic. This is what I got from your book. The academics focused on logic, while the feds, you guys focused on empathy. And that surprised me because you think of, you know, you guys are tough. You know, you're right in there. It's You're talking uh, logic. And you'd think the, the, the academics would be on, about feelings. And yet it was just the opposite. 
Well, you know, we learned that the hard way. I mean, uh, first of all, we learned the hard way that we had to have uh, hostage negotiators because, you know, we had SWAT teams way before we had hostage negotiators. And logically, since we didn't want to die, all we had to do was show up and threaten to kill the the bad guys. And since we don't want to die, they don't want to die. They're going to come out. And we found out that didn't work. So we had to do better than just say, hey, come out or we'll shoot you. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And, and so then, then they started, and when hostage negotiation first got started, really uh, principally uh, with the NYPD, they said, Let, let's go out and see what the business world knows about negotiation. And the academics know about negotiation. Let's bring this into our world. And they started that, and they like, heck, that doesn't work either. So then we started folding in stuff that we learned from suicide hotlines and crisis intervention and and started to get huge successes. And now it's come full circle when, you know, this is what we now call emotional intelligence and it is a key to success in business. So that's kind of how we found our way there. Mm -hmm. Quote, it all begins with the universally applicable, excuse me, premise that people want to be understood and accepted. And you write listening is the cheapest yet most effective concession we can make to get there. Uh, tapping into their, I guess, feeling of understanding, or being understood, excuse me. And this yeah, goes back and, to the company. I mean, and it's that's so ridiculously powerful that people so undersell it. Mm-hmm. We found that in every, in every deal, there's, there's something more important to the other person other than getting the deal. There's always something more important. And most of the time, it's just being heard out. And while we talk about that, we say to ourselves, oh, that sounds crazy. And then I'll say, look, how many times did you work for a boss that you loved who never did what you want, wanted him or her to do, but they always heard you out? Mm-hmm. And you loved working for that person because mm-hmm. they always heard you out. They didn't, you come into the office with, a, with a, uh, an idea or a complaint, and they might not do anything for you other than hear you out and you love that person and that just applies to all of our behavior let's uh talk about calibrated questions Uh, this was brilliant uh queries that the other side can respond to but that have no fixed answers it buys you time gives your counterpart the illusion of control that they're the ones with the answers and power after all it does all that without giving them any idea of how constrained they are by it. Now, again, we're not talking about a business here, although it, it could, but we're not talking about manipulating a, another business person because you're trying to get something up on them. You're talking about life and death. Again, this was in the, the you were talking about this during an actual hostage negotiation. One of the, the key or one of the, the questions you asked, and I want you to just break this down for, for us a little bit. I really am sorry, but how can I get you any money right now, much less $1 million, if I don't even know he's alive? Yeah, you know, we, we, we love that. Um, and our calibrated questions are really, really focused down to what and how questions. And we, we had them for the longest time as one of our listed skills, and we were using them a lot morally in barricaded situations in a context you're talking about right now. You know, that's really a kidnapping, an international kidnapping, which is really right. a bargaining situation. I mean, it's bargaining with a real tough bargainer on the other side. Yeah, oh yeah. And, you know, we had to learn how do we gain the upper hand on the tough bargainers who have to feel like they're dominating and in control without making them feel out of control. 
And, I, you know, I went back and I took another look at, at our open-ended questions, and I happened to have come across a book called Start With No, Jim Camp's business negotiation book that was exclusively focused on what he calls interrogatives, which are very close to what we're talking about here, open-ended questions. But we then, then I went back and I listened to a couple kidnapping negotiations, and I'm like, holy cow, this calibrated. If we calibrate and we're calibrating for effect, if we calibrate down on what and hows, then we're going to take over and the other side's never going to know it. And we started applying it and just making huge, ridiculous differences in how long the negotiations took and how often we got to where we wanted to be, exactly where we wanted to be and much faster. Let's go into the business realm a little bit. A wonderful point was what you call the accusation audit. I, I looked at it as sort of an inoculation of sorts, right? Which, yeah. as counterintuitive as it sounds, is actually very, very powerful. Um, would you unwrap that for us? You did an exercise with your class, and then there was the story of Anna, and uh, she needed to extract some concessions while actually improving the relationship at the same time. No easy task. Yeah, Anna not only extracted concessions, improved the relationship, but they came out with an extra $2 million. And, and when you can take another $2 million away from the other side and they like you even more, that's <laughs> a crazy, that's a crazy feat. And, and, and I will tell you that, especially since we've been applying a book actively in the business world, we think our accusations audit is probably our single most powerful tool. Okay, good. I mean, yeah. We are, we are making monstrous home runs with the people that we're coaching. But what it is, is just a, it's a list of the negatives. It's a, a list of the uglies, a list of the accusations that they're going to call us. Right. Not it's on yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's self-deprecation times 10. And people who have stumbled over the self-deprecation know, know it's an enormously powerful emotional intelligence skill. And, and we do it to the point where we even get to the point where we're inoculating against negatives that haven't even come up. You don't plant negatives with the, the laundry list of accusations that they would call you. If you go too far, what you've done is you've inoculated yourself from something that may come up. And, you know, what it is is uh, when we teach it, we tell people, what, what are all the things you'd, you'd want to deny? What, what would you want to say to the other side? I don't want you to think this, which is a denial. I don't want you to think this. I don't want you to think that. I, I don't want you to feel we're not listening to you. I don't want you to feel like we're pushing you around. I don't want you to feel like we're bullies. You know, I don't feel I don't want you to feel like we don't care about you. All the stuff that you, if you would lay that laundry list out, I mean, that's essentially your accusations audit. What you do is you cut off the denials from the beginning and you put it in an observational form and you do a bunch of mea culpas, uh, self-deprecating, you know, what, however you want to call it. You know, I'm sure it seems like that we don't care about you. I'm, I'm sure it seems like we're greedy. I'm, I'm sure it seems like we're being overly harsh. I, I'm sure it seems like we're bullying you. And that diffuses every one of the existing negatives and protects you from any that might come at you. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, here's another one I loved. You're right versus that's right. And the difference between the two. And there was a brilliant example uh, in which one of the people, a saleswoman, 
who had basically the same product or service as all of our competitors, and the prospect was very defensive at first because he expected to hear the same same thing, she began with focusing on him and his goals, not on her product, and this elicited the that's right. What's the difference between you're right and that's right? Well, you, when you, somebody says you're right to you, what they're really saying to you is please shut up and go away. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like to joke the, the it's it's when you say to the person you're dealing with that you want to maintain a relationship with, you don't want to hurt the relationship, but you just want them to shut up. And the world's greatest practitioners of your right are, who would you guess? Oh, let's see. Uh, children, maybe? Husbands. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> No comment there. Uh, <laughs> <I'm telling you. laughs> That's funny. And and I found that out because I had a guy at a conference come up and tell me that. So uh, because he, he had uh, his wife was giving him a hard time and he sent her a text message that says you're right and she was really happy. But it's it's what it's what people you know when we hear it we think ah they're so smart they think I'm right and we shut up. Um, we don't know what the other person is really saying to us. Look, I want you to stop talking. Well, the two millimeter difference is when somebody looks at us and says, that's right. That's what they say when they completely believe that what we just said was the unequivocal truth. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, in that recognition moment, the empathy bond is just bang. It's just built. It's an epiphany moment. They have no idea how much gratitude they feel to you for the epiphany. And that's the beautiful thing about it. The empathy bridge is they're saying when they say that's right to you, they're saying to you, I feel empathy from you, which is a huge connection. And they've basically acknowledged in a sense to themselves that they understand that this action is now in their best interest. Whereas your right says, leave me alone. I'm going to give you lip service, but um, I'm going to really do what I'm continue. I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. That's right says, wow, not only do I appreciate your point, but I accept it and I'm going to take action. Yes, it, uh, absolutely. That's so, right. <laughs> so, so that's right. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say you're right. Uh, and by the way, I've been noticing that in myself when I when I respond with your right and that's right. I'm telling you, this book is so amazing. I, you, if you're listening to this, please just get this book and you're going to want to get it for everyone in your life who you care about, who you want to equip uh, in, in the business world. They never have to negotiate a hostage situation for this to, to be uh, <laughs> to be of value to them. Um, so so give us the quick story about the saleswoman. And, and what she did in, in terms of how she focused on the, the uh, prospect. And you're talking and, about the, the story with the doctor, right? Yes, and she elicited the, the that's right from him. Yes, 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 that was exactly it. That's right. Yeah, well, she's, she's got a doctor in her territory, and she's trying to sell him a new drug that she really believes in. Uh, she's a pharmaceutical sales rep. And because the doctor's in her territory, and this happens a lot with any salesperson, He's taking he's taken, uh, the meetings with her, but, I mean, he's multitasking. He's talking on his phone. He's typing on his typewriter. You know, he's, for all intents and purposes, he's taking the meetings, but he's holding the hand up in front of her face the whole time. He's giving her the hand. And we, we had the, that's, she happened to be a student in my class at Georgetown, in our class at Georgetown. And she went out. She set an appointment with him. She had one goal. She's going to get a that's right out of him. And instead of pitching him, the value proposition or the benefits, uh, going through the features and benefits, all the stuff. She sits down with him and she says, you know what? She says, you're not just, 
you're not going to buy any the latest, hottest drug from the pharmaceutical sales rep just because you happen to be in their territory. He said, you know, your patients are more than just patients to you. They're people. And you feel responsible for their lives and their health. And, you know, you give people another holiday with their families that they might not otherwise have. So you're not just going to take the latest drug from some, from some pharmaceutical sales rep because it's their most profitable drug and there aren't any generics out there. And they're just they look at you as a profit center. Your patients are more important to you than that. And she said he turned and looked at her as if it was the first time he'd ever seen her. Yeah. And he said, that's right. That's right. And she made the sale. Wow. 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 That's something all of us as salespeople, we can just, you know, take that one and just just absolutely embrace it. That was the ultimate in, in moving from an I focus or me focus to an other focus and getting into his his world. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, you're, oh, I've got to ask a quick one. Why is it sometimes that really smart people have trouble being good negotiators? <laughs> you know, I used to love to throw that out when I was teaching in business schools also because there are a lot of really smart people in the room, obviously. <laughs> but, um, you know, really smart people want to show you how smart they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're only, only busy... They're, you know, and, and people with higher education, it's the same way. They want to show off their degree. They want to show off their learning. They want to show you they're smarter than you are. And that's the ultimate and counterproductive behavior in relationship building, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which right. is what a negotiation, the critical part of collaboration is there's got to be a relationship there. Yeah. Hey, Chris, chapter 10 in your book is titled Find the Black Swan. Now, your, your company's name is the Black Swan Group. Obviously, this is a biggie. So, Take us through this. What, what is a black swan? Why do we want to find it? And how do we find it? Well, the black swans are the stuff that we we never knew about before or we couldn't predict. That we don't know it's there. The, the little things that are going to make a massive difference, going to change everything. The game changers that are going to be new to us to, and, and how to see that. And, you know, where do the hidden cards overlap or where do the unknowns over, overlap? And those are the game-changing events. Those are the things that change everything if you can find out what's really going on on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the essence of a black swan. My son, who's my director of operations, likes to say, if you sit down in a negotiation and you can't write down three things afterwards that you didn't know going in, that you failed. If you can't come uh-huh. up with at least three black swans, then your negotiation was a failure. Okay. And then near the very end of the book, you basically tell us that if the book accomplishes only one thing, well, I'll, I'll throw this over to you. You tell us, what would you hope is that one thing? Yeah, well, don't be afraid to negotiate. I mean, it's a, it's, it can be this great, beautiful collaboration if you could just get past your fear. Mm-hmm. So uh, instead of it being something you're afraid of or something that's going to hurt, you know, if you see it instead as an opportunity for, for better things for both sides, then you're going to embrace it and, and really can come out with some beautiful results. 
Former FBI lead international kidnapping negotiator Chris Voss, the CEO of the Black Swan Group and author of the national bestseller, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. Hey, this is an amazing, an immensely amazing book on negotiation. Be sure and pick up one for yourself and everyone in your life whom you'd like to equip with these all so important skills. His company website, the Black Swan Group, is blackswanltd.com and you can get the book directly via amazon.com. Check out both links in the show notes. Thank you, Chris. Best wishes for continued success. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you for having me on. Main takeaway I received from Chris is that when it comes right down to it, the negotiation process is about tapping into the other person's emotions, being sure they feel understood. And if they respond with, that's right, instead of, you're right, well, there's a good chance you're on the right track. What were the most valuable tips you received from Chris during our discussion? Please feel free to write to me at bob at berg.com and let me know. John David Manns and my new book, The Go-Giver Influencer, is on sale at bookstores both online and traditional. Visit thegogiver.com and download chapters one and two, or just click on the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and provide a review on iTunes. Visit thegogiver.com slash reviews. I enjoy reading every review, and your review will also help others to much more easily find this show. That's all for today. The Go-Giver podcast is brought to you by thegogiver.com. Visit www.thegogiver.com and get our free special report, The Go-Giver Way, Five Principles for Creating a Culture of Excellence. That's thegogiver.com. Stop on by. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Bob Berg. Make it a great day.